Welcome to Rain City Supercars. I'm Dan. And I'm Nick. And we're coming at you live from Drivers Club, as we do every Monday. Brought to you by Haggerty, Rainier Beer, Avant, and Carter Subaru. Which, by the way, I put my Carter Subaru through the ultimate test this weekend. Yeah, I was going to talk to you about that. I, I, I just, I'm impressed. Thanks to an Avance event, actually. But yeah. um, I was impressed. The photos I and the video most were... Most of the people on the trail were impressed that two Zurus. Uh, another good buddy of mine, Trevor from uh, Avance, uh, came up with us, and they were... Uh, Avance has... You know, there, there's an offshoot. There's Avance, and there's off, uh, Avance Off-Road, and... You know, I've been building up the Subaru a little bit. By the way, I put skid plates on it. You don't know that. <laughs> Keep marks on that. Um, uh, and so uh, I decided to go for a drive, and it's the and I got to make sure I say this. It's Natchi Trail. Natchez. Natchez, which crosses the. Oh, I knew I was going to blank on this. The trail that you can walk from north to south in America, the Pacific uh, Crest Pacific trail? Crest Trail, by the way. And we did see some people coming out of the Pacific Trest Crest Trail that did not seem real happy to see cars <laughs> driving across in front of them. Like, in fact, we picked one of them up. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Jim, uh, the leader of my group, this this lovely woman, who I kid you not, introduced herself as Fire Socks. Um, and has been hiking for uh, 1,800 miles this year. That sounds like somebody named Fire well, Socks. She's, she called herself that because that's her trail name. Ah, okay. And um, she set her socks on fire <laughs> a while back, and so that's what she goes by. But um, I can say uh, she had been in the woods for a while. <laughs> she, <laughs> she had uh, shin splints, and so they had she, – she, I don't think she realized when she asked all these, these off-roaders, like – and, let me, and just so we're clear, the off-roaders that we went with were serious off-roaders. One guy had a brand new uh, Chevy Color, uh, Colorado diesel that was, looked like it was a pre-runner. And we had a, this, this huge Volvo truck. And, I mean, there was just Land Cruisers and everything. And then there's these two Subarus. I will say this. We had one gentleman that was with us that was in a Jeep Liberty, like the, the smallest little Jeep yeah. you can get. And nothing stopped him. And he had less ground clearance than us. But it was a lot of fun. Um, I ended up with wood between my tire and my wheel, which discount tire has never seen before. So much, so much surprise this morning that they did it to me. They they took it out for free, uh, so that was great. Uh, thank you, discount tire in Bellevue. But yeah, it was uh, the skid plates uh, definitely have some scratches in them, and uh, I think I have to go to a Dan's house, drop the skid plate, and get all the rocks out of it. But other than that, it was a great time. Uh, may need a new clutch. <laughs> That's the recap. For that, yeah, it was it was an insane amount of uh, uh, it was a great car weekend, and you missed everything. Yeah, I had a wedding to go to on Saturday, and I was working, so I didn't get to go to any of the fun stuff. But Radwood looked amazing. You, your outfits, absolutely killed it. It was so much fun between the Avance tent and the Haggerty tent, uh, and Ashley and Anami, who were previous guests, uh, we just had so much fun. And Avance was giving out free headbands, neon headbands, and they were they had some great. Uh, Radwood shirts, which I picked up with the Vector on there, which like nine people asked me yesterday when I was wearing like, was it was the Vector there? Was it there? I'm like, I don't know. The best part was that Shannon Lowe from Authentic Motorcars yeah, let me borrow a, shout out. a 1985 uh, Toyota pickup truck that he did a livery like Iron, uh, what's his, the, the famous off Tony Iron Man Stewart? Yeah. T- no, not Tony Iron. Is it? It used to do the Ivan Baja. Stewart? Ivan Stewart. Ivan Stewart. I don't know if his Tony. And yeah. so I got to drive that down there. And then Amanda <laughs> drove with me from Drivers Club, and we won. We won Best Truck. Nice. So that was kind of fun. Um, the costume ca- uh, the costume contest was rigged because there were two little girls that uh, were dressed up, and they won. They shouldn't have won. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they were eight, let alone from the 80s. So, yeah. They cheated. They'll read about it in a history book. Pretty much. So, but you know, Radwood was was great. Best story I have is we went down there, we dropped off the cars, we all decided we were going to go to brunch, and we're all dressed. And I mean, I've got neon sunglasses are lit up, and I've got all of my my my, my classic Nikes on, and I'm we're at brunch, and I go into the bathroom, and a guy walks into the bathroom, and looks at me like while I'm in the bathroom, and goes, "Oh, you're here for Radwood?" And with a dead face, look at me, and go, "What?" <laughs> Radwood, and he just <laughs> proceeds to walk out into the restaurant, just shaking his head like, "What the hell's wrong with this guy?" So that was fun. Nice. Yeah. So you uh, you did a wedding, and you did uh, you were on call, right? Yeah, you were, I was work- you were yeah. working. That's no fun. But your nephew got married. Congratulations yeah. to him. Congratulations, to Alex. Yeah. I, I learned something funny at that wedding. Turns out, uh, some of my nephew's friends are big fans of the show. And when they are in trouble, they're not allowed to listen to the show until they're not in trouble anymore. We are a punishment. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I hope you guys are in trouble this week. And I hope you're listening to the show. But shout out to them. I'm glad we have listeners of all ages. Yeah. It's that time of the show we do. Our Carter Subaru Tip of the Week. 
or our not stupid question that everybody should know. I was going through and we're getting ready for the Seamont rally. One of my tips you'll find on dance drives and several of these drives is when is the last time you checked and changed your brake fluid? And have you switched to high temp fluid? And this is, as I've owned so many cars over the years and bought a lot of cars used, this is one of the things I see the most neglected. Everybody's like, oh, I changed oil frequently, had it all serviced, and I look at the brake fluid and it's like black. <laughs> and it's just shot. And besides the normal maintenance of it, it'll destroy the seals in your master cylinder and cause ex existential problems with your calipers later in life. Uh, this is a safety thing, folks. You need to pay attention to this. And it's important to know what the differences are and why you should do this. If you are a spirited driver, like most of our listeners to this show are, this should be at, at minimum an annual thing. If you are a casual driver, you just go to and from work and you're not really doing anything spirited. You're just commuting. Uh, every couple of years is good. They come in a couple different varieties, 3, 4, 5, and 5.1. Um, some idiot named dot .5.5. Dot five, uh, I won't get into that because that's the one that's not compatible with anything. So you can't change dot .3 and dot .4 and dot .5. If you add dot .5, you have to completely flush your whole fluid out of your system multiple times to remove the dot .5 because it's silicone-based. It does it is not compatible, period. In a pinch, you're like, oh, I can use this. No, you can't. You cannot mix dot .5 with 3, 4, or 5.1. And... Uh, operating. Do the cars tell you what? what, what yes. Dot? Okay. It usually is labeled right on the cap, so you yeah. don't screw it up. Um, and it is ideally that you don't mix the types. Like if you're in a pinch and you're low, you can put 5.1 into 4 into 3 or whatever, like to get you by. But you should flush your system at that point anyway. The difference between the two is the boiling points. Uh, dot is just DOT, which is important. Which is me. very important. Yeah. The only difference between dry and wet is dry is brand new fluid. Wet is fluid that's been in there for a month or two. That's okay. it. That's the only difference. And that changes drastically. It, like uh, The wet boiling point from on a standard 5.1 is uh, 518 degrees Fahrenheit. Then it drops to 374 just after a little bit of use. And brake fluid is a thing called hygroscopic, which means it actually absorbs water. It'll absorb water through condensation through the lines, which is why it's super important to flush it. As it absorbs water, it starts to rust those components. That's when you see it get dirty. That's literally contamination coming into that fluid. And if you boil your fluid by really high-performance driving or track days, you need to at least bleed it, but you should change it. Bleeding it is okay. If you boil it, you've introduced air into the lines. That's when you get that squishy pedal and it goes to the floor. Um, you'll also notice this pulling a heavy load downhill. That's when you just hold that heat into the lines. You need to bleed it, at, at least bleed it when, after it does that. You should change it. And that's a thing. If you're taking like a Miata or something on a track day, chances are you probably won't actually boil your fluid. You got a light car with brakes that are relatively bigger to the car than the car's weight. It can handle that really well. If you have a car like my Turbo S or a GTR that's heavy, fast, and it has to decrease, even with those massive calibers and brakes, you'll, you'll boil the fluid really quickly. That's where we go back to that saying, smooth is fast you don't want to do that. <laughs> slamming on the gas and slamming on the brakes, well, it actually is kind of fun on a back road. I get it. It's but easy it's, to do on a Maserati, I'll tell you. Yeah, that. it's very easy to do on a Maserati. And if they're smoking, don't stop. Another pro tip from us on our current or last year's rally. But anyway. I've never seen you scream at me more than that. Don't stop, don't stop, don't stop. Yeah, because you don't want to weld your brake pads to your rotors, <laughs> which yep. you can do when they're on fire. Yep. <laughs> so okay, they weren't on fire. They were just smoking. A lot. <laughs> but yeah. With slight flames, yeah. So that being said, do not neglect your brake fluid. The long-term damage of neglecting your brake fluid is extremely expensive because then you're into <laughs> rebuilding calipers. It's no braking, and you don't want and that. And you die. Yeah, yeah, so no brakes is bad. Um, yeah. Also, if you live in a very wet and cold environment, I don't mean like we're not in a wet and cold environment. I mean like Midwest, Minnesota winters, and Alaska, and things like that, you do pretty much need to change it annually. It will absorb a lot more, more water in those environments and those constant changes because your brakes get hot and then they go immediately back to freezing. So they just suck in that condensation. So now you know your brakes are super easy to work on. If you're not comfortable doing it, any shop can do a brake fluid change for usually less than a hundred bucks, even on an expensive car. It's, if, if they have the right equipment, it's a super quick and easy process. They have machines that do it automatically. Um, but yeah, don't neglect it. Spend the money. hundred bucks every couple of years is nothing when it comes to maintenance. So here's a question that I'm coming up with right now. If, if you swamp out for high temperature fluid mm -hmm. and you're doing a rally or something like that, when you come back from that rally for everyday driving, should you swap it back? No. Um, most of the time, uh, so high performance fluids, uh, Castrol makes a really RBF 660, I think, is, or is that Motul? Anyway, Castrol and Motul are typically the go-tos. The more high performance fluids do tend to actually get dirty faster. faster. You tend, to, But that's usually because you're driving harder. It's not so much the fluid. It's the fact that you're driving harder. You're pushing that uh, temperature range back and forth a lot. Sure. And just like anything else, uh, that fluid has a heat cycle limit. You can't boil your fluid 100 times and just bleed it every time and it'd be fine. It'll actually break down like anything else. Fair enough. Yeah. So 
But yeah, mm -hmm. just watch it. If uh, first thing, the easiest thing to check for people who aren't into this, just pop your hood, look at your brake fluid. It should be almost clear. Uh, it is going to yellow naturally over like a year or so. But if it is dark brown, which is what I usually see on older vehicles, immediately change it. And people don't realize that that fluid does move throughout those lines. So yep, many people think all that the, way through. the line the lines are full and that it puts pressure on it, and therefore, like the brake fluid that really matters is the one that's in the end of the line. It's not true. Yeah. This tip brought to you by Carter Subaru. Yeah. Now yeah. you know a little bit about brake fluid. Yeah. If you guys liked that engineering stuff, and you think engineering is like the ins and outs, the specs, the details are something you find interesting, boy, are you going to love our guest today? <laughs> because our guest today is Rob Shebe. And Shibe. Shibe. Ah, that, I, I asked too. ahead of time. I, I know you did. I know you did. Yeah. <laughs> no, your name is what we say it is. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I answered everything. Congratulations. Your name just got changed. No. Yes. Yeah. And to this day, you have the nicest Porsche race car I've ever seen in my life. And that is not an understatement. But I was so fascinated looking at the car and seeing every little piece of that thing you got right. What a cool experience it was. Thank you for showing us the car today, both the cars. But uh, specifically, I really want to talk about your 996. Before we get into that, though, we're about due for a break. So why don't we take our first break? When we get back, we're going to dive right into what it is like to restore a race car versus a regular car, because, man, is it a big difference. And we'll be right back. We spend an average of 8 hours and 41 minutes a day facing screens. Laptops, smartphones, tablets, even digital refrigerators. But what are we really connected to? Isn't it time you connected to something greater? Sometimes the best way to connect is to disconnect. This moment of escape was created by Haggerty. For people who love cars. And we're back. Rob, welcome to the show. Thank you. We were talking That's off the break, um, and I, I assumed, I, I was told you were an engineer, and then as I dove in further, it got a lot cooler than that. <laughs> You're a forensic engineer, which I have never heard of or met before in my life. That's right. Uh, it's a term that I kind of fought for a while and finally went with it, but I'm a mechanical engineer, but my specialty is forensic engineering, which means I get involved in the analysis of accidents and failures and to, you know, trying to determine how, why and how something failed from an engineering point of view. So I get involved in the analysis of autom automotive accidents and heavy trucks and heavy equipment, cranes and loaders and forklifts and fires and explosions and appliances and tools. and. So you fight with other engineers trying to tell you why, why their stuff didn't fail, correct? <laughs> well, more often I'll fight with other people who have a different opinion Fair as enough. to why it, they thought it failed. Yeah, or, stand or back, fail. let's use science. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> So I get called as an expert witness in, in court to uh, give my opinion as to why something may have occurred. And uh, so I occasionally end up in a, you know, a sort of a, a legal arena where I have to testify. And, uh, uh, you know, that can be interesting. <laughs> so I, I enjoy it. But I enjoy the work. I really enjoy uh, the analysis aspect. I enjoy looking at equipment. I like, I'm, I'm, I like to be one with the machinery. So I spend a lot of time um, taking notes and photographs and looking at things that are broken uh, and then doing some form of analysis that might involve stress analysis or finite element stress analysis or uh, some uh, calculations, uh, determination of why something failed and ultimately a report uh, or some verbal opinion and sometimes a testimony. Huh. So that's what I do for a living, and I've been doing that for 37 years. Dang. Dan, he can't tell you what's wrong with me. I'm just broken. <laughs> <laughs> I was, so, yeah. was going to lead into that. Yeah, I think I you cut me off already. I'm broken. Yeah. <laughs> for, for those listening, though, this is a little something we call foreshadowing, because yeah. this is yeah. going to come into <laughs> serious uh, consideration when we talk about the builds you've done on the, on the cars you have. How did You're not from here. You said you, you're from Milwaukee area? Actually, Madison, Wisconsin. Born and raised in Madison, and uh, went to high school and college there, University of Wisconsin. Uh and then I moved to California and then here. So I've been here for 32 years. Oh, okay. been a long time. Pretty much a local at this point. Yeah, yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. How did you develop your love for cars? I mean, being an engineer, how things work, I can imagine there's that. But was the, did you have that draw ever since you were a little kid? I certainly have. And I've often wondered whether or not it was my interest in cars that made me want to go into engineering or if it was an engineering predisposition that made me interested in cars. It could go either way. And I've been fascinated by that question when I see little kids 
uh, often little boys, I'll mention, less than two years old, uh, playing with cars. Um, I see it all the time. I was one of those. My mother saved for me the uh, Christmas wish list that I made out as a kid. And in, on every qu wish list that I've found, there's some indication of something to do with cars. So I clearly had an interest in that. Uh, but it started the mechanical, the real mechanical intuition, I think, was my father, who was an electrical engineer, a professor of electrical engineering. I think he instilled in me an interest in, in science and, uh, and how things work. Uh, and he unfortunately passed away when I was 13, so I lost him early, but I think he imprinted on me at an early age. Uh, and I then got interested in uh, model airplane engines and lawnmowers and uh, eventually morphed into cars by about 15 years old. So, and as an engineer, a car is a, f is a fantastic uh, platform because every single engineering system you can imagine is on a car. We have shafts and gears and chains and belts. We've got lubrication. We have friction. We have brakes. We have fluid uh, hydraulics. We have... Um, pumps and motors and valves and springs and everything you can imagine is just an engineer's dream. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your first car then? Oh, yeah. My first car was a 1969 Triumph TR6. Oh. <laughs> and I dreamed. Like Why would you ever own a Triumph? <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> I'm still asking myself that. <laughs> and I read every article that there was. I had a collection of road and track magazines that my neighbor gave to me. My 80-year-old man, Mr. Showalter, gave me his boxes of road and track magazines, and I still have them. And they smell all musty, and they're in my garage, and they've moved from Madison to, uh, to Seattle. And if anyone would like to have some 1950s or 60s road and tracks, let me know. But anyway, I, uh, I got very excited about Triumph TR6s. I thought they looked neat and sounded neat, and I still do. I still think they're beautiful cars. Uh, but what happened was I got this car with my, I paid $1,500 with my hard-earned lawn mowing money and paper boy money. I worked in a car wash and I bought this car with my, you know, it was all on me and the clutch didn't work. I knew that. The clutch uh, was such that if you depressed the clutch, it didn't disengage. So there was no disengagement. So to drive the car, even to test drive it, the owner gave me a, a ride, and he put it in first gear and turned the, the key. didn't matter what you were doing with the clutch pedal. The car was in gear, and the car went rump, 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 and started up. And then if you shift, as you probably know, you can shift quite well without a clutch if you know what you're doing and you yeah. have some practice and you have a synchro mesh gearbox, well, even if you don't. And so he gave me a little ride. Uh, I didn't drive the car until I bought it. And then as a, I think, 17-year-old, I drove my first uh, manual transmission car without a clutch. <laughs> and I got it home. And uh, I have, you know, the, the value of driving a, being able to drive a car without using a clutch has come in handy a number of times in my life. Uh, so I actually believe everyone, everyone with manual transmission should learn how to drive a car without a clutch, just like everyone should learn to drive a car without brakes. Yeah. And you should learn to use that parking brake. Now, so many are electronic now, which makes it more difficult. <laughs> yeah. More difficult. And I was recently in England and rented a brand-new Honda Civic diesel. Got 64 miles per gallon. Really interesting. Pretty good. And everything was on the wrong side. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what was interesting was it has this little switch for the brakes yep sure enough i tried it out a couple times and whoa it works so <laughs> so everyone with electronic is working yeah. with electronic parking brakes uh so i'm getting a bit sidetracked but i do believe that it's useful to drive without a clutch it's useful to be able to drive without brakes there are secondary systems you can use so my my triumph uh eventually i did put a clutch in it but uh, i think i drove 1500 miles in my first car without ever using a clutch. <laughs> and w yep. in my racing days, I lost a clutch a couple times and finished races without, without using a clutch. So I, just because a clutch doesn't disengage doesn't mean you can't drive your car. Yeah. Well, I can speak from experience owning a 59 TR3 that driving a Triumph without a clutch is not that easy. <laughs> yeah, no, Trust it's not. me. Yeah. Yeah, our friends at McLaren won their first. Uh, they took third without a clutch in the McLaren F1 in its race, actually. So that's saying something. Learning that knowing how to drive is uh, probably a skill worth learning. Yet there. again, the British screw something up. <laughs> 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 Carl, I blame you. Yeah. No. <laughs> so it was, uh, when did you transition from having the fun street car with no clutch to... Uh, racing, because that's what we're really going to dive into here. Yes. 
Well, it, it began with a, po a passion for Porsches, even though I raced other cars as well. But uh, I, th I had this TR6. I'm in high school. I thought it was hot stuff. This is a cool car. And my good friend Jeff Syme, who, who has gone on to fame and fortune restoring interesting cars, including GT40s, uh, gave me a ride in his Porsche 912. And at the time, I was disdain would be the best way for me to describe my feeling about Porsches. The engine was in the wrong end, and the pedals came out of the floor, <laughs> and they made a weird noise, and it was a little four-cylinder engine. Yep. And it's like, oh, this is not for me. And he gave me a ride in that 912, maybe six months after I had my TR6, and I just couldn't believe it. And nothing against Triumphs. I still think they're beautiful, but it was basically a bucket of bowls compared to the Porsche. <laughs> yeah, Nick. So, I agree. <laughs> no, I agree. I absolutely agree. And, and I have owned Especially other after seeing his Porsches today. <laughs> yeah. So believe me. And I've had several other uh, British cars since then, including a GT3, uh, excuse me, a GT6, a Triumph GT6, and a Triumph or a Sunbeam Tiger. So I, I love Ooh. British cars. I love seeing British cars, but I rather they, I rather someone else own them. <laughs> uh, so the Porsche, the Porsche thing got me really interested in cars at a high performance level, and uh, racing then began. Uh, e even though I, uh, I dipped back into the British world, and my first race car was a, uh, a Mini, an Austin Mini, and a '68 Austin Cooper S. Yeah, really, really fun car. It's a really cool car. And yeah, it was a fabulous car, uh, and um, that was the car I finished a race without the clutch in once and without a throttle. Yeah, another, <laughs> another story. So the racing began for me at age. <laughs> sorry, I'm. Yeah. Sorry, wait a second here. Yeah. You tend to drop these things, they, and people and just well, expect people to go. Um, so you you finish without a throttle? Well, yeah, they break. Yeah, yeah. A cable yeah. actually a throttle now. It, the cable broke. But I'm uh, seeing you like cra crawling out of a moving car, trying to move a carburetor. No, I stopped the car. <laughs> okay. I stopped enough. the car and I removed the hood. There was no hinge in the hood. I popped the hood off, and I happened to have with me in my racing suit pocket a small pair of vice grips. Always race with a small pair of vice grips. Okay. And I clamp, I don't know why it was in my pocket, and I clamp the broken <laughs> cable onto the throttle linkage, and I finished the race. Genius. So, yeah. <laughs> Only an engineer could do that. Like. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, the racing began for me at age 19 in an Austin Mini, and uh, that was great fun. I then uh, sold the Mini and got a VW Beetle sedan, a 1971 VW Super Beetle. With a roller crank engine, would rev, rev to 8,000 RPM, 145 Jeez. horsepower, twin carb, fabulously fast car. Would walk yeah. past MGBs and Dotson 2000s. Yeah. Um, and ran that at various tracks like Road America um, and uh, Blackhawk Farms, Illinois. And then came the real racing, which was a Porsche. Yeah. Uh, a very good friend of mine was a, uh, he was an older man. He was probably 50. <laughs> he was a you're older yeah. Carl don't worry uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. a successful attorney and he came to me and said Rob I think I'm going to be bored this summer I want to go racing I said oh great because but I'd like you to drive I thought, oh really okay so he bought a Porsche race car it was a 1969 911T that was very much like an uh, RSR oh. it had a real RSR high butterfly injection system and RSR components so it was a home built but a, a professionally built uh, Porsche race car and I got to drive it which was a, a whole lot of fun yeah and that's what got me going and that that was but uh, age 21 or 2 or so is when I retired from racing because I couldn't afford it anymore <laughs> <laughs> and I, I finished school and took a long hiatus uh, from cars. Uh, I, I took, started my career as an engineer, and I got married. And though my wife and I want to uh, give a shout-out to her for being very supportive of my hobby, which gets pretty obsessive at times. And she's uh, not a car nut, per se, but she understands that I am. So she's with me on this journey and has, I think, enjoyed the fact that when I'm out in the garage, she knows I'm not out carousing in some bar in Belltown. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. So, yeah. yeah. So and anyway. she can hear you after, I mean, after the cars you're working on. She knows if you're in the garage. Well, only yeah. if it's running. <laughs> yeah, But I have, I've almost fallen asleep out in the garage a few times <laughs> under the car. So I'll often come in at 6 in the morning just as she's getting up to go to work. <laughs> That's happened a few times. So let's, um, the, t the two cars you have now. So you have, let's, let's uh, for the audience, there's the 2001 uh, 996. Yes. It's an RSR? It's an R GT3 RS. Oh, GT3 RS. Okay. Which is the forerunner to the RSR. It's an R. It's a, Yeah. So the this is, this is yeah, I'll let you explain it, but this yeah. is not a car you can go into your dealership spec and buy at that time. Correct. That's a very important point to this car. 
Um, there's how many of these? I'll let you talk about it here a little bit. Yeah, there were in that year, in two, the, the, the Porsche made the GT3 race cars in two variants, starting in 1999 or so, uh, maybe even early, late, early 99, might have been 98 to 99, they started the GT3 Cup, Mm-hmm. And they had the R. So the Cup and the R were the two different classes of, of Porsche race cars. The Cup being the lesser version, the R being the higher, the, 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 the lighter weight, more powerful, faster, more expensive car. And in 1999, the first GT3R was born, uh, and it raced uh, very successfully at places like Daytona and, and Le Mans and uh, other tracks around the world. Uh, and that car then was built for two years, 99 to 2000, and they made the GT3 RS in 01, 02, 03, and that's what I have, an 01 RS. And it was a slightly upgraded, slightly different version, but they're very, very similar. And to an untrained eye, I can't tell them apart. And then in 2004 and 5, they made the RSR. Got it. So they're all the same class of car. They're all carbon fiber bodies and, and the, the highest for compression, highest power uh, special cars. Uh, made by Porsche, uh, and the Cup was made during those same years. Slightly lesser car, uh, also very fast. There were more of them built, more Cups were built, uh, and it was, uh, I, I, can't, I don't have numbers in mind, but uh, last I looked, there were something like 3,500 Cups made and, and something like uh, 200 GT3 RSs made or something like yeah. on, that, on that range, R, RSs and RSRs, a number on that order. And the other car you have is a, the 997. Yes, I have a 997 GT3 Cup as well. Okay. That's right. And 2012. That's, right. And that's the one you actually track. Correct. And so, and back to the 996. So this is the car we looked at extensively. We looked at both extensively today. We were very fortunate to be able to go see. And, and less speechless. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. It, which is rare for Nick and I. I want to drive that point home. We go to a lot of car shows. Obviously, we r- help run our own. Dan and I really get around. Yeah. <laughs> and we have seen. We see cars too, though. Yeah. So yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's it, it just to drive that point home. It's rare that I look at a car and I'm I'm left impressed to the point of the build. Like I see rare cars. I see like uh, Bruce Wants Mulholland Speedster, uh, Bruce Levin's Shoebox Fifty One Shoebox cars like that. Singers cars like that. I look at and I just kind of my eyes get a little wide and I get amazed. But even but production cars rarely surprise me. This was one of those cars in my life. I looked at it and I was like, the the amount of detail you put into this restoration is fascinating. Uh, just hearing the story of down to, we'll talk zip ties here in a minute, let alone uh, foil coverings for holes and everything else that comes down to it. Well, well I, I don't, you have to remind me of the phrase you used, and I'm going to paraphrase the fact that you, you started the restore and you sort of went too far. Yes. <laughs> to the point where it, it, do, it doesn't race anymore. It is literally a beautiful piece of art. I mean, do, do, you, do you drive it? Well, I drive it from the car, from the garage to the trailer. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. okay. This is art. Let's keep that in it mind. It is. It's this rolling is art. This is yeah, art. Is. This is not yeah. a car that is something you would take to the track anymore. It's literally art. Well, it is for me. It could be taken to the track, and that was the intention initially. I, I right. got this car. It was in terrible condition. <laughs> and, and by terrible, I mean it was, it was raced hard. It was owned by uh, a woman in the area here, Kim Hiskey, and she was the driver along with Randy Popes, a well-known driver, and it was maintained and, 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 and engineered by Greg Fordall at Fordall Motorsports. And it was a fabulously fast car with two very, very good drivers, well-maintained, a really good uh, semi-professional sort of uh, uh, you know, team. And certainly there were professionals involved. Um, it wasn't as funded as well as uh, some of the big, big teams. But with the money they had, they, they did extremely well. They won a couple of races. They in won a bu- they yeah. won a bu- they won Road America. This the, the time that Randy Popes logged in that car, a two fourteen point nine at Road America is still a very very fast time. And from that was, eighteen years ago. Yeah. So uh, you know that on older tires and uh, wow, it's incredible. So he he the, both of them are great drivers and, and that car has gone very fast and still, it's still a fast car. Um, I bought it in a, in a, I would say it was road hard and put away wet. Yeah. Fact, literally put away wet. Yeah. The engine was wet inside. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, which is not uh, good if you're storing a car, by the way. Yeah. And I, I, I saw the car run, uh, in, in the early 2000s and, uh, with Kim driving it and it just literally gave me goosebumps. It's one of, uh, there are only about three things that will do that to me other than cold weather. Uh, <laughs> one is perfect vocal harmony, a perfect lock cord. Uh, with perfect harmony will do it to me. Um, a, a P51 Mustang oh, yeah, will do yeah. that to me. It literally makes the hair stand up on my arms. And that car did the same thing. 
So, uh, and I never dreamed that I could ever own a car like this. It was, it was a, you know, hideously expensive car in its time. And um, when, I, when I heard that it might be available, I thought, oh, no, I can't afford that. And I, I, I started asking some questions. I discovered that it had been languishing in a garage for years and that uh, maybe I could afford it. So I, I, I scraped it together and made an offer and bought the car. Uh, and, and then restored it. And th the idea behind this car was that I was going to restore it and drive it. I wanted to go around that track like I saw Kim going around the track. And um, as I got into the restoration, I went a bit overboard. <laughs> and I could feel myself, yeah, as I say, at the precipice, yeah, going, what, yes. going over the slope where, uh-oh, this is going further than I had intended originally. Yeah. Uh, but I was uh, kind of okay with it. And one of the reasons it took so long was because I could feel this happening. And I knew what was going on. knew that, uh-oh, I better, if I'm going to really do it right, I need to take this next step. Otherwise, I'm cutting a corner. And so uh, by, by not cutting corners, every turn took longer and longer and, and got me deeper and deeper into it. Uh, and that was okay. I was, I was fine with the process. And I might say that to me, the pleasure in this hobby is the process. Yeah. It's... Um, I'm not the expert in any of this. I am just, I was like the general contractor uh, on this project, and I engaged the help of all kinds of experts, many of them here in the Northwest, who are way better than I am at all kinds of things I could never do. And I love learning from them how they perfect their craft, how they conduct their craft, from the people who make pistons and valves to the people who do metalwork carbon fiber work, engine building, tuning, brakes, everything, you, you name it, paint work, uh, graphics. And uh, so I like to go along for the ride, uh, and I don't like to just turn it over to somebody and say, here, do it. I like to, I like to say, okay, you do the metal work. Marv Engstrom here in Seattle did the, the tub, which was in tough shape. And all I asked was that I get to come see it and not work with him per se, but come take pictures and enjoy talking to him about what he's doing. So, and I don't know how many people are like this. I, I'm not one to say, here, you do it. I'm one to say, here, you do it, but take me along for the ride. Let me learn what you do, because I'll never be that good. I can't possibly do it. I'm far better off paying him to do it and do it what I do well and then enjoy the process. So, so the whole process of building the car was something that I enjoyed because of the people I got to meet. Well, I want to take it back a little bit. We, we were talking about uh, road hard and put away wet. So the engine, literally, <laughs> there was water in, in the cylinders, and, and you showed us photos of basically what looked like a latte machine, what I thought initially. But <laughs> The oil, yeah. You know, yeah. We, we had talked briefly, and you had showed us photos of the valves and, and the pistons. And can you kind of go into that a little bit, like especially the pistons, because you, you surprised oh, yeah, even Dan <laughs> about the fact that with this car, you, you, you had, let, let, I'll let you tell the story of, of how you found the pistons, how they're made, and where you found them and, and get, to get them. Yeah, well, I'm not made of money, and the pistons and cylinders for this engine are very, very expensive. At the time I looked, it was $11,000. And you can't go down to the dealer and buy parts for this car. This is a Porsche, and though it resembles a street car in some ways, uh, the engine has very few parts that are interchangeable with the street engine. And if you go in with a part number, to the dealer, they'll look at you funny because it has a it has a suffix that or a, a extension that doesn't match their their books. So everything is bought through Porsche Motorsport, and and I bought a lot of things from Porsche Motorsport, <laughs> but there were some things that I just couldn't bring myself to buy if I didn't have to, and uh, the pistons and cylinders were among them. So I I, c I contacted the manufacturer of the pistons, and they worked with me uh, in this country. This is a German Mali piston. Molly pistons are made in Germany, but they're also made in the United States by <laughs> the U.S. wing of Molly Motorsports. And I talked to somebody there, and he said, well, we can, we can make those for you. What number? Do you have the number? And I gave him the number. He goes, got the drawing right here. So the very drawing that those pistons were made to in Germany was also in the computers here in the United States. And they could make those pistons in the United States on a different forging, a better forging. <laughs> uh, and they were made in a very top secret factory somewhere in Tennessee. I again, I don't want to just have you make the pistons. Sure. I want to see them being made. Yeah, let me come see it. Yeah. yeah. He goes, oh, no, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> those are made in the same line as the pistons that are made for the NASCAR. You know, oh, got it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. oh this, is, this is their custom line. So Wouldn't want those secrets out no, there. No, no, no. <laughs> He said, so that's where he drew the line. He brought me in on the process as far as he could. 
but he wouldn't let me come see the factory yeah. where they were being made. Uh, but they they were made for considerably less than the factory for the, the motorsport price. And I and again, I don't feel too bad about this because motorsport got a good part, bit of my salary <laughs> for a year or two. And, and there's a difference in the pistons, correct? Yeah. From, yeah, from yeah. side to side. Oh, yes. Uh, I was interested that pistons are, are right and left hand. You can buy a right and left hand piston. I had no idea. And, uh, and I discovered when I took my engine apart, and it was built by Porsche Motorsport, that engine, it had all left hand pistons. And there's three on the right and three on the left. And yeah, and the whole audience is looking around, going, "Wait, what?" <laughs> yeah, that's a, that was my expression yeah. as well to everybody here. And what was it? There's different pin. Yeah, the the offset where the piston pin is very very subtle. The difference is minuscule, so it doesn't apparently. I mean, if Porsche is building these engines with all left hand pistons, it can't be a problem. But I fi- I figure I one up them by learning that in fact there are right hand and left hand pistons, <laughs> and I actually purchased some of each. And it was careful to make sure that I put them on the correct <laughs> side. Now, in the southern hemisphere, it may be reversed. I'm not sure about Who that. Who knows? And you, you even purchased, <laughs> you purchased an extra one just in case. But, and then the whole conundrum of which side do you purchase? Yeah. <laughs> correct. I, I guess I could have bought a, an extra right and a left, but I decided to buy an extra left one. And, and you had to go through this same process with the valves as well, correct? Yes. The valves were terribly corroded because there had been coolant that had mixed with the oil in the engine and had sat for five years. And these are titanium, titanium. by the way, which I didn't know until you told me that titanium <sighs> valves could corrode like this. I'd never heard of that. I hadn't either. And here I work with metals all the time and corrosion. Yeah. But, I, I, <laughs> but rarely do we work with titanium. And I was unaware of how badly titanium can corrode. And boy, if you saw those pictures, it turned green and hairy. Yeah. Uh, it was terrible. And so these... and. And the problem is, when you buy these parts, they're very expensive. You buy a valve is $250. It was. This is five, six, seven years ago. Who knows what it is now? But how many are there? It's 24. Yeah. And you can do the math on that. Yeah. 24 times 250 becomes a big number. And uh, I had a hard time swallowing that as well. Yeah. So uh, I was able to, through the manufacturer, the valves... Uh, who didn't really want to work with you because no. they had a deal with Porsche for those <laughs> valves, correct? Right. Yes. Yeah. But they had, they happened to have some new old stock valves that they'd ah. made. And that's how we, I was able to help <laughs> them out yeah. as they helped me out. Let <laughs> me help you clear your shelves that's here, correct. please. Yeah, yes. that's Absolutely. Right. Like, these are going to sit here, so why not? But Porsche Motorsport was a great help to me. And I have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for, for all the, the nice things they did uh, during the time I was building this engine. There were, there were favors that were done. And, in fact, there's one sort of interesting story. It has to do with the steering wheel. The I was steering, going to yeah, ask you about that. The steering wheel for this car, when I bought the car, was looked like a little tiny. It was like a 10-inch diameter wheel. And apparently, Kim Hiskey and Randy Popes liked that. That's how, I don't know why. They liked a little tiny steering wheel. It didn't look right to me. It didn't feel right to me. I wanted the original wheel, which was a Momo Type 7, I believe. And, um, but I wanted the real wheel. And... To buy a Momo, I want to say Type 7 or so, wheel, uh, it says Momo on it, but the one that comes with the car says Porsche on it. <laughs> Engraved in the wheel in little red letters, it says Porsche on the, on the right hand. It's, it's a three-spoke wheel. Devil's in the details. Yeah. yeah, and you can go buy a Momo wheel for $180 or $200. Yeah. And a Dremel. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah My handwriting isn't that yeah. good. <laughs> Mine either, yeah. yeah. It's in cursive. <laughs> 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 sure. Yeah. So I, uh, I, I went and swallowed and went to Porsche Motorsport and said, I, I, I guess I want, I have to buy it from Porsche Motorsport. And it was a like a five hundred dollar, four hundred fifty dollar wheel. But the guy at Motorsport said, Well, Rob, we've got, we've got a deal for you. We've got one with a little bit of damage, a little bit of damage. I'll sell it to you for three hundred dollars. He said, But you probably won't want it because he knew how, how persnickety I was. Right. And so he took some really nice pictures of it and said, I can live with it. I'll live with a little bit of damage on the, on, the, on the leather for the real deal for saving $200. And I bought it. I put it in the car and was all happy about it. And about a year later, Chris Powell, who runs Chris's German here in, in Redmond, who knew the car well, it's his shop that my car sat in for five years, so, and he he was a crew member on this car. Oh, as well. so he sat on this for a while. Well, <laughs> well, he didn't know. He, he he moved his shop from Bellevue to Redmond. Oh, okay. And he said, "Rob, I found something in a box. I found the steering wheel for your car." I said, "What do you mean the steering?" He goes, "No, the wheel from your car. Not one like it, but the actual wheel that was taken off the car before it was ever driven. It's in a plastic bag in a box at my shop." <laughs> 
thought you're kidding. What's the return policy with Porsche Motorsports? It's, it's, like, yeah. it's like 17 years later, he's got the wheel that came out of the car. And I had photographs of the car on its first day of life. I showed them to you today. And that the wheel that's pictured in those pictures is the wheel that Chris had in a box. Wow. And I just thought, this is so cool. It's just part of the network of people who knew this car. And so I, I, I bought the wheel from him. I said, you've stored this for long enough. I'm buying the wheel from you. And then I sold the wheel, the wheel I bought from Motorsports to somebody else for $300. And, <laughs> and all is good. It's a win-win. Yeah. yeah. So I have the real original wheel, which is, I mean, it's just a small triumph. But to me, uh, it was a great uh, find. So. All right. So for my next thing, you're all going to get another tech tip for the day, but it's not going to come from me because this one's pretty funny. And I, we learned something today that everybody's going to be like, uh-huh. Tell us about zip ties. Because yes. you have a thousand of them. Because <laughs> you yes. had to. And they and I learned something. Well, not all zip ties are, are the same. They're not made alike. There are zip when you buy a white zip tie, you go to Home Depot, get white zip ties. Get a no, thousand no, of them no, for like no, three dollars. No. Yeah. Yeah. No. Nylon. Uh, they're not white. They're not even close to white. They're bone colored. They're <laughs> nylon colored. And when I got this car, I discovered that it was put together, the, the wiring harnesses and tubing and brake lines and fuel lines were all attached to each other with zip ties that were white. The Porsche white. Yes, yes. the Porsche white. Yes. Yes. Not yes. A, not yeah. a, we, yeah. not, we do not like the bone colored one. No, no. No, <laughs> no bone colored one. Nicht gut. So I, uh, <laughs> I, I, as I took this car apart, as I got deeper and deeper into it, I had to... Snip those things. Oh, jeez. And I, so before I snipped much, I went looking online to see if I could find them. First, I called Porsche Motorsport. I always went to Porsche Motorsport. And I was concerned that they weren't going to be the same. So I ordered one. <laughs> and it cost two fifty. The shipping was probably $10. And I, w- I wait. Well, they are heavy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I, I waited, hoping, when I opened up the envelope, that it would be a white zip tie. It was black. <laughs> oh, how disappointing. <laughs> and I called... <laughs> I called them back, and I said, do you have white ones? Oh, no, we haven't had those for years. This is what we use now. Nobody thought, uses those oh. anymore. And no. I thought, this is not going to do. <laughs> uh, this is not going to do. So I then went looking. For, I went online. I went, I went to the hardware stores, went online, and nobody sold white zip ties. So I extracted one from the car, and I looked at it very carefully, and I found the name on it, Tie Wrap, T-Y-R-A-P. Which I mean, is not zip tie. Not zip tie. No. Tie wrap. But I've heard people call them tie wrap, like yeah, Kleenex uh, yeah. or Frigidaires. Yeah. Well, there is actually a brand called tie wrap, and it's made by Thomas and Betts in, in Memphis, Tennessee. And I called them up, and I got some southern lady with a very strong southern accent. Yes, sir. I, I do think declare. I can help you. I think we, we can get the white ones. We do sell white ones. She gave me the part number. And I said, well, I need about, I need about 30. Oh, sir, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> Because we don't have them in stock, and we have to have them made. And they're made in Hungary, and we need to have a 1,000 of them made. I said, oh, no. I need like 40 of them. Well, I'm sorry, sir, but it's $106, and I can have a 1,000 of them made for you. And it'll take two months. You're like, that's the same as Porsche shipping. So, so it is. So I bought a 1,000 white zip ties. And if anyone needs any, I have 950 of them We're left. turning this into, if you need zip <laughs> yeah, ties. if you need zip ties, call me. If you need a white tie wrap, I've got what is, a whole There's a difference, though, too. What's the difference? Yeah. yeah, yeah oh, the yes. Oh, yes. They aren't the kind. Most tie wraps have, the long tail has little ratchet teeth on it. Yeah. So when you stick it through the, the loop and pull on it, it goes brrrr. Yeah. Not the real McCoys. No, no. They are smooth as silk. And inside the little the little head that you th- yeah. th- that ha- that normal has a little ratcheting tooth, it has a metal tab that engages under spring pressure pressure with the smooth surface of the zip tie. So when you pull when you stick it through and pull on it, it goes <laughs> quietly. It's really very satisfying for those of us who just spent a hundred and six dollars on a zip tie. <laughs> so every every time I see those things, they they it just makes me feel good because I know I did the right thing. And what you don't understand, and, and we will obviously have photos of this car, is he has restored it to its ori- one its original livery, and the fact that it is a white with green was what we'll call it. But and the white, and I agree with you. Like when I was looking at the engine, uh, not the engine bay, the, the front area, trunk area, the trunk area, the trunk. And looking at the zip ties, you were right with the color. Like we oh, were yeah. you, it, <laughs> for especially sure. when you held up one, like, and I have thousands of the ones from Home Depot <laughs> that I paid, you know, pennies on the dollar for. 
and I don't think I can. I'm going to go home and throw mine out. Well, <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's not a tie wrap. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, we're coming up on our second break, but we come when we come back, we have another little story about uh, how scrapbooking can help you restore your car. So we'll be right back. Grandpa, what do you call this thing again? It's a 66 Ford Bronco. I think you got ripped off. Why is that, honey? It's got no Wi-Fi, no USB port, no Bluetooth. Exactly. I guess we'll just have to talk. Sometimes the best way to connect is to disconnect. Is that the window button? It's called a window crank. Cool. The faster I move it, the faster it goes down. This moment of escape was created by Haggerty. Being old is kind of cool, Grandpa. Works for me. For people who love cars. And we're back. Where did we go? We left off a... No. <laughs> we went to drink more. Where did life really go, Dan? Yeah, happy birthday, Simon, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Cheers to our audience member, yeah, right, Simon, yeah. who brought an incredible scotch that we are sipping on. Yeah. It's so good when it hits your lips. Yes. Yeah. So, thank so you. Nick's done, so I'll be taking over from thank here. Thank you, Simon. Mm, you're wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we you have a lovely insides. <laughs> your outsides are kind of, you know. <laughs> Thanks for the editing, Nick. So... <laughs> I didn't say anything rude. It was accurate, right? Yep, he winked. <laughs> uh, I can always charm the British. <laughs> or Welsh, or whatever the hell you are. <laughs> you all sound the same. Right, Adam? Um, no. Exactly. No, Nick is cut off. Oh. Um, no, so anyway. Adam, uh, no. <laughs> Wrong Adam. I meant Adam Robertson. Who? Yeah. Oh. What? Is he's that Welsh. me? He's Welsh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, continue. <laughs> yeah, so we left off talking on the exciting topic of scrapbooking and how you can use it to restore a vehicle. <laughs> You're going to cut all that. <laughs> Which... You're really going to cut all that out, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. But this is a really funny story. I still love you, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> so as we're going over your 996, one of the funnier, uh, finer details is, so if you ever take a car apart, or if you look under the hood, underneath all of the uh, the fancy carpeting that's underneath there, once you get all that out, you're going to find a bunch of bolts and a bunch of holes because that's where you plug stuff in, like cable ties and things like that. When you have a race car, you end up with a ton of those leftover little holes. They usually plug them with like a sticker. Usually it's a, in most cars, it's like a black vinyl or something. It's just to, just to cover the hole so water doesn't get in. Because the bodies of race cars are still like production cars, correct? Yeah, some of them, yeah. In, in this case, yeah, there are some underpinnings that are the same. Our viewers are asking that. No, yeah. <laughs> so in the Porsche, in, the, in this 996, they're covered in these little foil silver like stickers. And when you completely take a car down to its nuts and bolts and strip everything off of it, you have to take all that off before you paint it and before you restore it and you do all your welding. Otherwise, you just end up with stickers that are painted over. Uh, the problem is, is getting those sometimes. Which is <laughs> kind of a funny story. That's right. Those little stickers, and there were about 200 of them on this car uh, when I took it apart. They're about a, oh, about an inch in diameter, and they're made of a metallic tape with a backing, a sticky back. And uh, I had to take them all off to get the car painted. And it took a long time to take them off. But before I took them off, and this is the cardinal rule for any restoration, your camera is your friend. And I bet I took, during this process, I, I'm going to guess 6,000 photographs. But uh, as, as I, before I took any stickers off, I photographed everyone multiple diff- times and from different directions. And I recorded where they were. And then I went to... Again, our friends at Porsche Motorsport, and I said, can I buy these stickers? They said, no, they're not available anymore. Maybe they ne- were never available. I'm not sure. So I knew I was on my own. So I uh, took a micrometer, and I measured the thickness of the tape, and I went online and found some metallic tape that was the right thickness and had a right backing. But now I needed circles. I needed circles that were about an inch in diameter. I don't remember the exact dimension, but I measured it. It was a metric size for sure. I, recall, I don't recall anymore, but... Uh, I needed to either make a punch or find a punch that would allow me to make, because I'm not going to cut those out with an X-Acto knife. And um, I went to eBay and found, sure enough, there are paper punches that are have large holes. They also make them hearts and bees and, you know, dogs. <laughs> Please and tell whatever. me you did some of those. Cats. Just like it's random, yeah, yeah, like a random cat sticker just, in the middle of Just for the fun, sure. <laughs> Is that fluffy? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's all that's left over. Yep. So... <laughs> Well played, sir. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I found a, a, a paper punch that had the right diameter, and it was like 20 bucks on eBay, and it was for scrapbooking. And I went into production, and I punched out 200 little silver circles, and I, it took me about a week with um, my, I think I printed them off on paper because it was too much of a hassle with the laptop under the car because they're in very uncomfortable positions, some of these stickers, even when the car's on a lift. 
And it took a week with my photographs to put them back. And it was one of the sort of satisfying moments of life. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Little OCD, you know. But it was fun. We're getting ready for Monterey Car Week. And if you've ever been down to Pebble Beach, the level of restoration that people go through for these cars is this and sometimes even more. And if you want to be on that level, if you want to have that car that's right in everyone's eyes, this is the kind of stuff you need to think about. This is what you have to go through. And this is why cars like this are so special and stand out so much. So as people are listening, as we talked to previous guests on the show, like Peter Gleason, um, friends of ours like Bruce Wanta and things like that, who have done these award-winning national-level cars, um, when you look at a Singer, Porsche, and you think, why would anybody spend 500000 to or up to $1.5 million on a car? This is why. This is the level of detail you're getting, and this is what people should look for when they're thinking about restoring a car right. And we say modding a car done right. We're very critical of mods because we see so many go bad in the scene around here. This is what we want to see. This is what gets people's attention. This is what makes things memorable. And we will post pictures. If you, list, if you look at albums for our show, I hope everyone does. We do get a lot of comments on them, so I think you do. This is one of those ones you're going to have to see to believe, and this is why. Mm-hmm. So. Well, thank you. It, again, to me, and I, I, ma- I imagine to many people who, who have, are in this hobby, the fun is in the journey and, and the people. Uh, I, I couldn't have done it myself. I wouldn't have tried to do it myself. Sure, I can paint a car. Oh, yeah, with a broom in the wind, and it'll look <laughs> awful. All these things that I can't do, I, I love to, to see the, the right work being done by somebody who is way better at it than I am and to go along for a ride. Uh, and so what, what that means, though, is when it's done, it, it isn't as fun anymore. So uh, On to the next one. Well, <laughs> I guess so. It, it becomes sort of a grotesque wall hanging, you know. Uh, but no, I, it does not. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I do uh, appreciate all the help I've had from people here in this area and uh, the fun I've had. And th- this is fun. I mean, a- any, any activity that involves the process is what I'm in it for. We drove up and, and, and saw these beautiful race cars before, and it's like we're driving through this lovely neighborhood, and like, it's just like you catch this glimpse out of the side of your eye, like, you know, like, oh, there's a Jeep and an empty garage, and wait a minute, there's a car right two Porsches on that like it's just so kind of out of the ordinary and like the shop of course you being an engineer is just spotless and it's just go- well I mean not spotless but compared to like I t- like <laughs> like you said earlier like, what do you think of this I said well compared to the lift I don't have in the garage yeah. I don't have it this is 100% better yeah <laughs> so it's just absolutely gorgeous I mean oh, and I, I I kept you guys were talking around the car, and I just kept staring into the the frunk, just looking, <laughs> yes. just looking at the intricacies of this. And, and my, the OCD inside me was going, "This makes me happy." It's just like <laughs> because not only the zip ties the right color, but they're all like positioned right. <laughs> they're all facing the right way, and it just makes sense. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so pretty. Everything's right where it should yeah, be. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> A place for everything, and everything in its place. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's my splurge, and you mentioned Jeep. You know, I have a Jeep. That's what I drive every day. As a '97 Jeep Grand Cherokee, we bought new. It's got 312,950 miles on so it. So it's broken now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. And, and so, and I love driving that old Jeep. Uh, it gives me pleasure. It, it, I, it, I don't ruin anything else in the process. Sure. Um, it's become a bit of an obsession to keep that thing going now too, and it has no value to speak of. But I, I just enjoy having something that, that I can keep going. So and it allows me to feel like I can splurge on on the hobby when I'm not spending it on the everyday vehicle. I was gonna say now I can just see you on the phone calling Mopar and Jeep, going, "Okay, they don't make these bolts anymore, but who did make these, and how can we find them?" And like, yeah, exactly. I have them made. Yeah, have them made. <laughs> I'm gonna I, rebuild my own engine. Yeah, I won't go that far. It is funny though, because I mean, I mean, we've talked to a lot of people who have obsessively restored cars, and you guys are you're not alone in this at all. Like there, there are a lot of people who are the exact same way. Like I remember talking to. Uh, one of our locals here about a CUDA and where the bolts come from on it and why, like, you know, I need this specific one because they, they cut it this certain way and the head looks this way. Not just the bolts, but, like, the, the quarry that the metal was made that made the bolts <laughs> yeah, and why yeah. it came from that quarry. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, you no, know, it's like, you know, when you have it, it's like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a Hemi CUDA, so it has to be perfect. And it's different, totally different cars, but the same kind of mindset of, like, no, this is exactly how this car was. This is how it's going to stay. And if I have to go buy the quarry and make the bolts again, I'll do it. Like, they're those guys. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, I, I don't laugh at them anymore because I, I, am, I right? am one of them, I, I guess. is one of those. Yeah, yeah. I, I are one. <laughs> I are one. I are yeah, one. exactly. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so Adam, welcome back. Adam from thank Avance you, is back you. to the show after uh, moving and Radwood and crazy events. And it has been quite a while. I, I feel like I've missed a lot. What, what, what's happened since uh, I've been last here? It was all a blur to me. I blocked out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rad, don't, don't look at me. <laughs> yeah, know. Radwood was the big part of it. Yeah, um, Radwood was fun. It was yeah. rad. It was rad. Yeah. Yeah, we missed you, Dan. That's I for know. sure. I know. Yeah. I missed what all of you as well. Jobs and stuff. Jobs and weddings Nobody and families. <laughs> Nobody cares about that stuff. No. It's all about <laughs> 80s fanny packs and stuff. <laughs> Somebody, um, Amanda was making a comment about that. She goes, I don't feel like the 80s were far enough back that we should be looking back on them yet. <laughs> That's because well, we're old now. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, didn't Art bring this up in the, in the Radwood podcast? Like yeah. People don't view those cars as classics or anything, but yet they are 30 years old. Right. Or, or, so Stop it, saying it out loud. Okay, well... <laughs> I mean, that's, they're, they're old cars, and uh, yeah. I was joking with those guys how they should have had a tow truck or multiple tow trucks on I-5 so that, you know, folks like us who are driving down to Tacoma, you know, they could they could rescue some of us you as know, we uh, My award-winning truck did just fine, thank yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> made it down there. I know quite a few cars <laughs> did not make it down there. That's, there were a few things on the side of the road. Yeah. 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 No, that was fun. Yeah, we had we had three different things. I mean, Radwood wasn't sort of an Avance event, but we had three different things going on this past weekend. So it was a little bit crazy. Radwood was one. Then we had a, a rally that we partnered with Express Rally. It was a two-night, two-day, one-night rally uh, down to Portland and then over to Mary Hill Loops. Uh, I saw road. the photos. Yeah, so that was fun. Everybody absolutely loved that that rally. So that yeah, was James, fun. congratulations on not getting arrested. And I was expecting you to. Yeah, he I knows do. who he is. <laughs> we paid off the right people. He should have been arrested. I know. I, yeah. I tried. <laughs> I saw a video of him doing burnouts though in some parking lot or something. It so. paid for. It was in the right. He, like he was, was it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, this, okay. this was like a. This was like an okay thing All for right. him to do. Okay, okay. So I was gonna message him and be like, James, knock <laughs> knock. Who's there? Not you anymore. Mustang things. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Uh, so that that went off. What well. if you got out of control and hit a kindergarten or something? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and then, uh, yeah, we had an off-road event, which Nick uh, participated in. So I think that, yep. that went pretty well. I <laughs> oh, think. it went awesome. So that was fun, yeah. So it was a good weekend. I, unfortunately, could only attend one of those events, which was Radwood. So, uh, But still, I had a great weekend. But uh, you guys have autocross coming up, right? Yes, we have Emerald Downs uh, on Saturday. So that, uh, that should be fun. Uh, same sort of format. We'll have a morning session and an afternoon session. I think two and a half hours for each session. So... Uh, that's fun. We sort of perfected the format now so that you can come drive in one session and then go for rides in the others and vice versa. So Very cool. that should be a lot of fun. And then, yeah, and then after that, I think we have a, a tech session on wraps, so vehicle wraps. So uh, oh, nice. interior, obviously, like trim pieces and stuff like that, or chrome deletes, right? Everybody's, that's a, that's a hot thing, right? Especially for the Teslas of the world. So they want to get rid of their chrome. Uh, so this is kind of a, okay, you could do it yourself. Here's how to do it if you want to do it yourself. Or you could partner with uh, or go to one of our partners. So. Yeah, and you had, you've had some interesting events in the past, too. I know you guys did a photography event. Yes. And the off-road is really kicking off. and. Yeah, you know, yeah. If, if you're not careful, it's going to be a success. It's, uh, yeah. <laughs> Don't tell my wife. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Come <laughs> home. No. <laughs> the photography one was really interesting. Yeah. So uh, Emily from McLaren Bellevue brought a uh, Volcano Orange 5.7? Yeah, it was a 5.7. 570 Spider. Yeah, yeah 5.7 Spider. Gorgeous car. And it w- w- the Volcano Orange, normally I see in the MP412C because mm-hmm. that was one of the sort of the standard colors for that car. But seeing the Volcano Orange in the 570, it's just, uh, it's an amazing car. Amazing color. So, yeah, we had a photography kind of tech session. We had some, I think, like four or five expert photographers come in and talk about angles, lighting, all that kind of stuff. So Carl was out of town, I think. So he. Uh, well, you did uh, say expert. So um, <laughs> I think Daniel was there, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Daniel was there. Yeah, Daniel's sure. a very good photographer. As yeah, you know, absolutely. You've had yeah. him on. Yeah. He did the photos for Cliff's episodes. It was uh, excellent. Yeah, yeah very yeah. nice. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that that was uh, that was great fun. My photos still didn't turn out very well, but at least I know what to try to do. Yeah, I but just to be fair, you have one of those flip it. out like fold in half phones, <laughs> like you know exactly. <laughs> Motorola flip, yeah, it. exactly. <laughs> this has snake on it. <laughs> <laughs> the coolest trick was uh, uh, John Lay, who uh, is one of our photographers who does our charter member photo shoots. He pulled out his polarized glasses, and there's a thing where you can use your polarized glasses and you like turn it and. It will it actually changes the polarization. Yeah, yeah. It, it acts as a polarizer, and so I don't know if you know cameras polarize lens, etc., or whatever. Yeah. But it like it, it takes off the shadow, so when you or the the reflections mm-hmm. on the glass. So when you're taking a picture of a car, normally there's something reflecting off the glass. Well, you can 
use your glasses as a way to sort of act as a as a lens. So anyway. Yeah, if you're doing interior shots and you have um, uh, not, uh, not too old, but anything without a new OLED screen like a phone, like uh -huh. a lot of new cars have that. But if you have an older one, you'll get the an image. Where the polarization of the screen will adversely affect gotcha. the photo if you're doing it for like a sale ad. So you can mm -hmm. do that through your sunglasses to remove that polarizing effect. Turn your glasses one way or the other yeah. to figure out which way it's polarizing, and mm -hmm. then you can negate it. Mm -hmm. That'll give you a better interior shot for when you're selling your car. Mm -hmm. It's always a better idea to have the car on and all the systems running mm -hmm. when you're taking a for sale shot. So that's a good way to do that. Yeah, it was it was a great it was a great party trick. So I will definitely be using yeah. it. Hear the like the NBC. The more you know, every time Dan talks, because <laughs> I do. I see it. Like it's just like the amount of knowledge in Dan's head. It's like we also learned the right way to do the the photographer. You know, pose like the crouch. You know, I yeah. like had to get down low. Yeah, that was good. Too. Put your camera on auto, lean back, and look like you know what you're doing. That's right. That's right. Had to do the, the, the squat. Exactly. No, that was fun. So yeah, so Thank that's what's you, coming Best up. Buy. Yeah, <laughs> Rob, you had a funny story about an autocross car. You gave what you were gonna say. Well, yeah, Adam, you were saying that you have a car, a yes. Boxster, that you mm -hmm. uh, basically let's just let say lend out, drive, right? Yeah, right, yeah. Right. Well, when I was seventeen, I used to put on what we called them Jim Connors at the time. They were autocrosses, but they were done. That's back. Yeah, University mm -hmm. of Wisconsin. We'd set up cones in the parking lot at the university lot, and we'd run this, and. As a student, I was maybe a little more than 17 at that point. I would have been, I'm sorry, I would have been more like 20 at this age. But we, uh, at that time, but we we noticed that so many students didn't have a car to drive in this event. And that was unfortunate. So we rectified the situation one year and we bought, I bought, a Toyota, a 1971 Toyota Corolla <laughs> for $25. <laughs> and it was the Man. most... You, you may have overpaid. It was the most... <laughs> yeah, this is Wisconsin where, yeah. where the rust is so bad, you can hear it rust, you know, yeah. and you can throw a basketball through the fender. And the, <laughs> that was there yeah. yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so I bought this thing. But again, back to my theme on the old uh, TR6, the clutch didn't work. But this time, the clutch didn't work in the other way. This oh. is the bad way. It didn't engage. So it just slipped. So there was a slipping clutch. Now, there's no getting around that. You can't drive a car with a slipping clutch. You can drive a car where the clutch doesn't disengage. But a slipping clutch needs to be replaced. So I went to get a clutch. And, of course, I knew I was a student. And we were, I, I just wanted this car to run for this event. So I went to a junkyard in Madison. And I bought one. And it cost me $25. <laughs> for a Double the value of the for car. For a used yeah. clutch. Yeah. I mean, what, used clutch, I mean, there are a lot of things that you wouldn't want to buy used, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Clutches, brakes, condoms, things like that. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, so, I don't know. The secondary yeah, condom yeah. market's really taken off. <laughs> so, you know, so, <laughs> so I then took it upon myself to change this clutch in a, my driveway of my mom's home, my parents' home. And in this this nasty, rusty, and again, y you guys working on nice cars here on the West Coast, you have no idea yeah. how good you have it until you go work on an old rusty car, and it's just horrendous. So I'm got to undo the exhaust, and that, oh, it's terrible. So I'm lying on my back, and I let the transmission out, and it slams my face. It, it actually, it actually nipped my finger, and I was without without sensation in my little finger for over a year after this job. I changed the clutch, and it worked. So now we had a car for the Jim Connor, and here is the deal: a dollar a lap <laughs> for anyone who wanted to drive it. You're and pay the car off in like an and hour. And at the yeah. end of the day, the person with the best time the had to take the car home. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get the car; no, you, you had have to, to take, take it, it home. Yeah. I had the title, and this is all before we worried about things like insurance and other liability and all. Yeah. And so a, a young person showed up, even younger than me. He was 17 at the time, I think, 17 or 18. And the name, Peter Cunningham. Does that ring a bell? Yeah. Hey. He factory driver for Honda yeah. <laughs> after that. So you started his career is what I'm hearing. Uh, we did. Yep. Or let's just say we got to see his career at an early age. And he got in this car, and he turned the fastest time. Before it kind of died, other things started to give out on it. <laughs> And so, and he was very young. He came with an RX-7, a Gen 1 RX-7, and did some amazing things in that as a super young driver. He was really good, clearly. So at the end of the event, he said, can I take a victory lap? I said, okay. I, I said, sure. He goes, I want to do it backwards. <laughs> I thought, you mean you want to drive the course backwards? No, I want to drive the car in reverse around the course. <laughs> and again, my 
better judgment, which wasn't better at the time, said, okay. Yep. And so he, car. so he took the car. And I hadn't signed Wait, it over Wait, did he yet. take his RX-7 no. or he took the Civic? No, the, it's, it's the Corolla. Corolla. Oh, the Corolla, Corolla. sorry. Corolla. So he took the Corolla around one of these courses in reverse. And we're talking about at least a 60-second course and some speeds that were, you know, 50 miles an hour maybe. Uh, he didn't get that fast. And he, he went around, and at the end of the lap, at the end of the course, he did what was referred to as a Rockford turn. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Where you're going in reverse, and you spin, they turn the wheel sharp, and the car spins around 180 degrees kind of on a dime. Well, it spun around 90 degrees on a dime, and then it went... <laughs> roof, or it went side, roof side, rolled over. Wow. Rolled over with him in the car, of course. And I was just freaked. And we have the University of Wisconsin police cars watching all this and the whole group watching this. And here we had a true rollover at an event <laughs> where the car went side, roof, side. And you the, broke and, it, you bought and it. And you, you forget how much, how much dust and, and smoke and steam and stuff. It was a big cloud. And I thought, oh, my gosh, we, we just saw a really serious injury here. And I was very relieved to see a hand reach up. I saw, all I could see is this car inside. I see a hand reach up on the window and another hand reach up and this guy, he hoists himself up onto the passenger side of the car or whichever side it was up and he, he, with his helmet on, he jumps up and down going, Toyota, you, oh, what a feeling. Toyota, you asked for it. You got it, Toyota. <laughs> <laughs> and we were relieved he wasn't hurt. But from that point on, we didn't do this anymore. <laughs> and we called it the Toyota Carolla. <laughs> I like it. So that's my story about I, uh, lending cars like for an event. I, I, yeah, I, w I will note that you will not be able to drive the car backwards on, <laughs> uh, at the Avance event. Uh, no matter if it's if it's our car or your car, you will not be driving Unrelated. Can I, can I borrow the Boxster? Yeah, 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 you can. <laughs> I want to try something. Try something don't don't and, go backwards. And by the way, Peter Cunningham, if you look up his record, was a, a fabulous pro driver, has won all kinds of he's events. only rolled once in his whole career yeah I've, i <laughs> i haven't this is a shout out to peter if you're hearing this peter hello uh but i, I i've never talked to him since that time nice oh, uh, we're definitely gonna have to yeah. look him up now yeah yeah look yeah. up peter cunningham all and right. it's acura honda amazing Just no more to it all began they roll too easy to honda. <laughs> yeah. they roll too easy <laughs> Well, oh, thank man. you so much for coming in. We really appreciate the stories and showing us your your cars and, and, and the meticulous way you have restored them and, and enjoyed them and, and, and are sharing them with the world. Well, yeah. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here. Yeah. A lot of fun. So for Rain City Supercars, I'm Nick. I'm Dan. Don't just get there. Enjoy the drive. <laughs>